This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 312 of the Yellow Wallpots. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's miracle win against FC Augsburg and then Friday's miracle win against SFC Köln. And for that and more joins me Mr. Lars Poilmann. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I am pumped now that you use you are using a soundboard and I get to listen to our, what is it, title melody or title song? Yeah, it's the intro theme, if you want. Yeah, I mean, I always sing along, and, and now I obviously hear it immediately before we start talking. So, uh, me, the ever-excitable person I am, I'm <laughs> huge, obviously very pumped uh, to talk about Augsburg and Cologne, the, the two colossal giants of German football. Yes, that is correct, Lars. Um, I myself, I have to say, I'm a little bit tired. Uh, I have uh, spent last night watching the uh, first day of the impeachment trial. And as I uh, watch a democracy slowly dying, I am now a little bit on the edge and tired. So if I'm a little bit more grumpy or, um, you know... In, in any sort of way, please excuse that. And uh, with that, uh, I am happy to announce that we have zero sponsors for this episode. Um, people, that's uh, that's not good. Um, we need to get all that cash back uh, to pay for that Norwegian striker we will talk about now uh, a little bit more. But Lars, before we get to the good stuff, um, there was a lot of shitty stuff. And uh, it seemed to be... A I would say a very typical Dortmund road game at the WWK arena. And, um, you know, considering this was uh, a new year, a new decade to attack and uh, nothing really changed. Now, did it last? No, no, it was the, the typical new year, new me meme uh, where nothing changes except, you know, the date on the calendar. I mean, as you said, it was the the... The quintessential Dortmund road performance of this season, perhaps even going back to the second half of last season, um, inviting a mediocre, I would say, or mediocrely talented team like Augsburg to, you know, live easy against a hugely individually uh, talented team like Dortmund, um, inviting especially for the goals, obviously, with lackadaisical defending, shambolical defending, stupid mistakes, uh, not taking enough care of both the ball and opponent uh, for the first goal especially. I mean, the, the list of defensive deficiencies as so often this season and as I said, second half of last season basically uh, was so long that you know, we could talk for, for like half an hour just about the bad stuff before we would get to the good stuff. So, yeah. 
It's it's funny. I looked at uh, who scored um, after the game just to see how many errors were attributed, and there was only one error uh, for the Dortmund team, and that was Sontorgen Hazard who played the terrible pass to um, Vargas, I think it was, who then uh, you know left Lukas Piszczek in his dust and squared it to I think it was Niederlechner who was uh, not very well marked by by Hummels um you know even though I would blame Hummels the very least in in this play because it was uh, very hard to defend at at that moment you know it's just uh, the half cooked back pass to Hakimi who was not positioned where uh Tonghaza thought Hakimi was positioned and then um yeah it was it was almost too late um and it's I I think the first goal really revealed uh, in 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 two ways um how um, Dortmund have uh, problems, I would say. Um, it's um, <laughs> it's funny how um, you know we have talked about Julian Weigel and his lack of pace, and and how that has been detrimental to Dortmund. And now um, basically the same thing has uh, you know it, it's not hasn't happened. It's not a new thing, but uh, right in the first game we see how the lack of pace for Lukas Piszczek, um yeah, is a bigger deficit. But I I would also give some of the blame to Ashraf Hakimi, as you have, Stefan, on Twitter, as people will have seen probably, um, because obviously the 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 back pass by Azar was not hit very well and and played in the almost wrong direction almost, but. I mean, it's Ashraf Hakimi, top speed is his main attribute, and he certainly would have been able to get into position to, if not win the ball back of Vargas, then at least uh, challenge the cross or the, the ball into the box. But he kind of waited for Piszczek to uh, get into position. And, you know, Hakimi should know better by, at this stage just how uh, speed deficient, as you said, Piszczek is. So it would have been... Uh, prudent of him to uh you know track back harder and and use uh, more awareness to get switched on in that situation because i think if anyone could have uh prevented Piszczek from making a mistake it would have been Hakimi i mean uh, at the end Piszczek being speed deficient is something he can't really do much about and i don't think his positioning necessarily was wrong he, he just wasn't able physically to get in 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 the shape to uh, prevent the We also the have to say it was well done by Vargas in this moment. Yeah, I mean, he was the best player on the pitch, I would say, uh, from Augsburg, certainly, and maybe even in the entire game. So, obviously, some credit goes to the attacking team in, in every goal, but this was not one where you just tip your cap and say, we couldn't do anything about this. Uh, outside, perhaps, of, you know, the final ball into the box and then the striker's movement uh, of Niederlechner was really good, but, I mean... The, the ball shouldn't have been so uncontested going into the box. Yeah, you, you're right. I mean, um, the, the second goal was also a very typical Dortmund goal to concede. Uh, not, not that, uh, shot from Richter, maybe, because, uh, Dortmund don't concede that many shots, uh, from, from distance in that sort of fashion, but that, um, there's just a simple punt. I think it was from, from the goalkeeper. I think just a long ball from Kubek very early on in the, in the second half and Akanji without really having much pressure just uh, headed it in a, in a very weird no man's land direction where Richter then could pick it up and have enough space to to tee up that shot and uh, this is basically why I uh, checked who scored because I wanted to see if if that uh, uh, you know counts as a st- statistical error or not um had you been the person um 
in in charge for the statistics uh, would you have uh, marked this one as an error on Akanji's head I mean I don't know the definition uh, who scored use I could see uh, that being charted like as a head clearance almost because obviously it was a long ball uh, that hadn't been controlled in a while so I, maybe it wasn't considered a, a pass with the head as much as just a head clearance that's probably so correct that's the, yes that's the that's the problem but obviously it's an individual mistake uh looking at it outside of the the specific definitions of that website i mean uh i think we've talked about manuel akanji a bunch basically ever since he had his hip injury in december 2018 if i'm not mistaken i mean un up until that point he was like a godsend signing uh, of basel Uh, in, in January 2018, but, but since that hip injury, since he came back in like February of 19, I believe, or might have been even early March, uh, he just not looked the same. And we are, I tweeted during the game, we are basically at a point where I would take him out of the lineup just to save him from himself because he makes so many crucial, also inexplicable and easy mistakes that you know he's he's certainly not helping the team and with that he's also not helping himself so if there was a viable alternative say Julian Weigel who Farfo says is uh, uh, used to say was a viable alternative in central defense then I, I strongly advocate for taking him out of the lineup and in, in that same breath, I think this is also kind of an indictment of the development of Leonardo Balerdi, that he's still not able to at least challenge someone like Akanji, who's just playing, you know, otherworldly bad football at the moment. So if, if you don't get past that guy right now, I mean, you probably won't have much of a a role going forward at least this season and that's to me disappointing for a 15 million signing uh, like Balerdi who's now been in Dortmund for basically 12 months yeah I would very much agree I mean um, Akanji right now is making mistakes you know that you would see from a side that is really entrenched in the relegation battle and I, I just don't I can't explain where where this is coming from um that we see it in in such frequency and it does not have to give this backline any assurance and uh, I think we have talked about this a lot that uh, especially with uh, him paired up with Mats Hummels for some reason he seems even more nervous and makes more inexplicable inexplicable mistakes than he usually does um, but yeah, still, it's, it's quite, um, it's quite disheartening to see this again and again. And there does not seem to be a, a viable cure. And, um, you've already mentioned, um, the, uh, tweet that I sent, uh, in the heat of the moment on Monday afternoon, basically. Um, what happened is on, uh, Sunday, I, uh, watched the game or the second half rather again, um, and, uh, looked at the goals a little bit more closely. And, uh, it's just, I think the most blatant individual tactical error that, uh, Dortmund made in the form of Hakimi is, um, for the third goal, you see Augsburg's left back, Philip Max, who is obviously, um, known to be very good at, you know, doing assists and all that stuff. Um, you see him run down the field and uh, ultimately creating a two versus one situation together with another midfielder uh, against Lukas Piszczek and then playing the assist for Niederlechner. And uh, 
you see just how he wins i i would say 20 meters within 50 meters over hakimi who's just you know strutting along and and not really recognizing the danger or um relying on his teammates to just deal with the moment and just hoping that augsburg not scoring i don't know if it's negligence arrogance or um i don't know all of the above but um that just enraged me terribly for some reason usually um i'm i'm not emotional about this but uh for some reason when i when i went to bed i was thinking about this for at least half hour or so and i just couldn't get over it and then the next day uh yeah i added him on on twitter with the yellow wallpot account which is obviously not uh usually my style but uh i don't know it, it's it's just outrageous in in general to me that um you have all this talent and uh, all the speed and and everything in in Hakimi's case that uh, should make for a good defender and um it's just that th the carelessness you know where is the will to win where's the will to defend in in these moments where you know your opponent you know just doesn't you know it's not like Augsburg are very good and you just need to do the minimum stuff basically and i would count that as the minimum stuff to defend against them and uh help your own team win and it's just you know i just don't feel like players sometimes do their all and give everything they they can in such a game and that ultimately is the most frustrating thing especially because i'm right now i'm watching a lot of sixes basketball and uh their star player Ben Simmons, uh, while Embiid is injured, for example, is uh, hustling around and you know really chipping in defensively and, and you know talking after the games about how how fun it is for him to to get steals and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's it's just a, a gaping contrast to Dortmund, who do not have this hustle and do not have this. Uh, I don't know the, the the greed to win the ball. I I don't know. It's just just the the basic in in football that that makes or breaks a good team is is what's missing. This crucial essence and it's it's just driving me mad. I don't know how you feel about this loss or you know, but I I assume at least your rational observation is similar to mine. Well, I would put it more simply: uh, Dortmund or good teams don't beat themselves and Dortmund beat themselves time and time again. And the only thing that kept them from actually losing three points uh, against Augsburg was luck and Erling Haaland, basically. I mean, yes, they had enough chances in the first half to probably go in front and, you know, nothing would have stopped them from being like 2-1 in front midway through the second half uh, because that's typically how that game would have gone. But I would basically say that going by the way Dortmund defended with the lack of care you described, they probably would have conceded at least a second goal, you know, from a set piece like late in the game and had another two-all draw away from home, which has been kind of a regular result for them this season. So I, I certainly, the, 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 the general evaluation that you make isn't, isn't wrong that something is missing from this team. Uh, and, and obviously, Erling Haaland brings something to the team, but it's probably a different something than they need for, you know, better defensive uh, stability or whatever. Obviously, he's a striker, so 
that's not something he can bring. But if if they had someone else with the kind of energy he brings and the the body language, even though you know regular listeners will know we don't really like to talk about these things here. Uh, I mean, he made a difference in that regard as well. And if they had another guy like that playing uh, deeper on the pitch, being that you know energizer almost uh, and having that absolute will to succeed no matter what. I think that's what Erling Haaland brought to this game and what too few other Dortmund players show on a consistent basis for this team to be as successful as it could be. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you ruined a little bit my, my segue because I wanted to ask whether this is now the point where we talk about the good stuff. But uh, I guess it is. Playing himself and Haaland in behind goes for goal! So, yes, as you said, this guy really turned the entire game around. Um, and I think you just described it quite well. He brought that, that will to win. Um, basically the, the one quality that, that Dortmund really lacked. And I think, um, a lot of people, including Michael Zorg, really talked about how, you know, his, his spark lit the fire or however you want to call it. Um, but yeah, very impressive um, for him to come on and and to be like that. <laughs> um, I I don't know about you, Lars, but uh, that is the the only thing that that can really make you positive. I mean, we uh, are yet to talk about uh, the Julian Brandt goal, which obviously was brilliant. But um, you know, I wanted to be a little bit cautious. Yet optimistic, but I have to say that the first impression really blew me quite away. Um, not only me, but a lot of people. But um, I, I think it's it's fair to say Dortmund have a weapon now that uh, they can a use instantly and b um, will be very hard to defend for opponents, even if they know what is coming, just due to the sheer pace that that Haaland has and. Uh, I would say um, the uh, footballing IQ in in uh, combination with that is is just very impressive. Um, if we talk about the first goal, he he shows the space where he wants the ball, even though um, his defender basically is is covering him well. But it doesn't matter. Sancho um, squeezes the ball through. I think three Augsburg defenders or so, and then um, Haaland, uh, as a good striker does, uh, lets lets the ball run across his body and then finishes his first time and uh, finds the, the low bottom corner uh opposite or the far corner and uh, it's yeah it's it's impossible to defend if Dortmund execute plays like that um even uh, if Augsburg in theory haven't quite covered well um so that goal alone was already pretty impressive and i think he was just 2 minutes on the pitch am i right something like that yeah yeah so um that was uh, that was obviously a little bit uh, impressive but we have to also i think say um that uh, augsburg um didn't cover themselves in, in glory defensively in the in the last half hour um last um what happens in american football uh, when you do not apply a pass rush and tell your corners and safeties to stay around the line of scrimmage 
uh, I guess you would be defending the run. I'm not sure what you're trying to say. Well, I'm, I'm trying to say is that uh, it's very likely that you concede a big play. Um, and uh, this is basically the equivalent that, that Augsburg did concede. Um, because, you know, the, uh, was it the 3-3, the equalizer? It was a nice long ball by Hummels and uh, they were both Haaland and Sancho who basically could have picked it up because Augsburg were pushing um, all their defenders to the halfway line and uh, there was zero pressure on Hummels, which I think uh, is devastating. But at the same time also, I think with the introduction of Haaland uh, showed that Dortmund were more direct and more vertical and, and tried these plays far more often, which uh, I think goes to show that he or his presence does also change the mindset a little bit of his teammates, which uh, it does in a positive way. I I would agree with that, but I think uh, Augsburg basically invited Dortmund to do that the entirety of the game. I mean, I tweeted during the first half, if Augsburg are going to be this open uh, for 19 minutes, then Haaland coming off the bench will have a field day. Because, I mean, I didn't, I never claimed to know uh, Haaland as a as a striker too well, but I mean, you just watch like goal compilations and you see the sheer pace he has, which is surprising for a what is it six foot four or so, six foot three, uh, a white guy. I mean, that doesn't necessarily scream pace to me. You know, he could easily be a Carsten Janka type of uh, bodybuilder striker, whatever you want to call it. But he has that that explosiveness and uh, f from his lower body uh, to run away from uh, basically every defender. So Augsburg were inviting Dortmund to to play deep to make those deep runs the entirety of the game, but they just didn't do it. Uh, presumably because they didn't have like a striker who's known to or uh, known for and, and knows how to make those deep runs. Just because you know someone like. Uh, Azar or Reus or Sancho or Brandt, whenever he's in that position, they, they are all creators. They are not, you know, the, the guy that the ball, the final ball is created for, uh, if that makes sense. So they don't have the, the, the mindset to get into those positions. Whereas Haaland came on, probably watched it for the 55 or whatever minutes, uh, that Augsburg wrote those invitations. And he said to himself, you know what? I'm, I'm just abuse that. And he did it to, to great effect, obviously. So uh, while he did change the mindset of the, the, his teammates, I think it was also uh, Augsburg just being super open and, and basically begging to be punished. Uh, and also, I would say just in general that it seems like uh, Favre's team talk in, before the second half, he... he uh, told his team to take more risks. He obviously uh, switched to a back four uh, with Brandt as the second defensive midfielder, I guess. Uh, that is inherently a relatively daring uh, proposition. Uh, so when he then took off Piszczek for Haaland, I mean, that's the the sounding of the charge almost or whatever, uh, however you want to say it. I mean, that, that basically signals to the, your entire team... Uh, I mean, we are, uh, I think he wanted to bring him on before the third goal of Augsburg, but he actually came on after the third goal, if I'm not mistaken. So it was basically, uh, you know, let's just have a go at it. Maybe we can salvage something with this guy. And obviously he did much more than that. Yeah, to make a general point, I, I believe strongly in um, 
sending signals to the team with substitutions. I think Dortmund did that quite well for a while with Paco Alcázar when he was a super sub and uh, with Jaden Sancho as well. Um, obviously, uh, what will happen is that uh, the the guys you would use to send the quote-unquote signal you then uh, have as starters. But uh, in general, um, I would just say I would appreciate if Dortmund managed to do that more often uh, in, in a way that they bring on lethal players uh, and, and send a signal to the rest of the team that uh, they will attack more especially when they are trailing in, in games like Augsburg, even though um, players know that they need to score a goal, but I, I think it's, it just does something psychologically and helps. So I'm all for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the leading goal, the four to three um, happens in a, in a uh, similar way um, where Witzel then then took a shot, even though I I wouldn't say he was pressured, but uh, you know there there he was in the mix, and then uh, you know one quick ball over the top from Hazard, and he then had the awareness to find Haaland. Um, that's that's just very positive for Dortmund because um, I don't know about you, but if you score at least two goals on the counter attack, if not three. Um, against Augsburg, that uh, just means that Dortmund has a little bit of swagger and uh, do something that should make them lethal in in, in general. Um, I mean, I think Dortmund are leading the goals in, in counterattacks, but I would still criticize them for not scoring nearly uh, enough, considering their their capabilities and their talents. So um, I think uh, Haaland will really add to to that and. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say usher in us into a new counterattacking era, but uh, it's it's good to know to have that sort of weapon, um, be it off the bench or, or starting from the beginning. Because uh, I don't. I don't think it it matters whether he goes up against a fatigued defense or against a still fit defense because of his physical capability. So um, that was just uh, yeah, very nice and refreshing. And uh, yeah, I I think. Still, though, the, the, the fifth goal takes the cake when it comes to, to technical ability and execution. And uh, also, it was the only play, really, where Mark Royce did something useful. Would you agree with that? Or uh, would you say the Brand goal was probably even uh, better executed? I mean, I I always like the, the proper striker finish. And, I mean, Haaland didn't smash any of his goals. Obviously, the second goal, he... Uh barely could smash it because it was so close to the line. But I mean, he, he slotted home and that's, there's something really, uh, oddly satisfying almost to me when a striker just lets the ball glide into the net, uh, it's preferably off the, uh, post, which one of, uh, Haaland's goals, I think this first one actually came off the post, right? I mean, there's just some quality to that, that I really enjoy, but me being me, uh, Julian Brandt will always take the cake. And <laughs> I also voted Julian Brandt as the man of the match because I believe if you put 90 good minutes in, it's uh, valuable or more valuable perhaps than 30 extraordinary minutes. Yeah, I, I understand that reasoning. I thought Julian Brandt had a, had a pretty good game overall. And uh, I... I was a little bit scared, uh, not knowing if Favre would stick with him on, on that position because I just don't know with that coach, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad that he, uh, kept him in, in the, uh, central midfield role because I think that's, um, 
that's just where Brand can help Dortmund the most. So that was just very positive. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, Lars, but, uh, I, I'm really, uh, hopeful that at least for teams in the Augsburg category, um, having a striker really does make a bigger difference than, uh, I don't, I don't know, in, in, in big games where Dortmund usually find ways to score anyway. But, um, just in, in these kinds of games where Dortmund do not have the, uh, mental shape to play full throttle football or whatever, um, it's, it's good to have someone like Haaland who then, uh, yeah, just comes on with that mentality. And, um, you've already talked about it. Uh, beforehand but um, I would still like to ask you whether you think that this can have a long-term effect or whether this was more just a, the, the quote-unquote new impulse the un unboxing of of the striker so to, so to speak or do you think that Haaland's ruthless character and this winning mentality can really um Yeah, spark a fire in, in, in Dortmund that, uh, you know, I think was Zorg who talked about impulses that, you know, be the impulse that, that makes a more significant change than just having a good striker up front. Uh, it, it, I think that's hard to say just because it's one game, uh, against opposition that, you know, as I said before, basically invited Dortmund to score all game and they just, didn't uh you know RSVP in that manner um i think <laughs> from 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 what i saw in this game i mean th this is the first time in a competitive fixture uh, that i watched Erling Haaland live i mean uh i didn't watch any salzburg games and in the champions league if i even watched those games he played uh, in the group stage uh it will have been uh in you know a simulcast so I never really took the opportunity to actually watch the guy move around, uh, watch him off the ball even, uh, which is something, you know, I, I like to do, especially with new players that I don't really know much about. Uh, so obviously this was a hugely impressive performance in that regard as well. I mean, I talked about it earlier, how his body language was really positive and commanding almost for a 19 year old in his first, uh, league game in a, in a top league, uh, so I, I think for him, we can basically say this is probably just who he is. The stage certainly doesn't seem too, uh, too great for him or anything. But to, you know, uh, talk about how that will affect the team going forward and, and what role he can play in that, I think that's, that might be a bit premature because basically we've seen, you know, a, a spark in Dortmund's team from time to time, but You know, we've, we've been talking about similar or the same issues in, in total or generally speaking for, I don't know, at least uh, the last calendar year and, and probably even longer, uh, with good spells mixed in between and not the other way around, I would say. So I, I'm, I'm a bit apprehensive to say after 35 or so minutes, including stoppage time, that this young kid is going to be, Uh, or bring on the, the massive changes that he did in his first game. Yeah. Well, um, I, I would agree with you there. Um, I, I'm just curious to be honest because, um, I, I feel quite desperate for the quote unquote savior that fucking in, induces some, uh, 
much needed mentality in, in this side and having someone like Haaland probably helps in that regard. But obviously that was not the only debut for Dortmund. Uh, we also saw 17-year-old Girena make his debut and I think is now the youngest American um, to make his Bundesliga appearance with that. And um, I thought it was a very positive one in, in many regards. First of all, um, I thought it, it sent a signal to Mr. Jakob Brünlassen that um, he has plummeted a little bit in the packing order. Um, bringing on uh, Giorena made sense in, in, in that moment to me, just because of the the qualities he, he had. And uh, I think we, we quickly saw what uh, help he can be for Dortmund off the bench. And I hope that uh, we will see this uh, more often going forward, um, courtesy of... Uh, Borussia Dortmund here is what he said after the game. It's a dream come true. Uh, yeah, it was a great game. I, when the coaches called my name, I knew I had to work hard and help the team. So, yeah, I'm really happy and I'm really honored to do it with this club. And, yeah, it was a great game and a great team win. So I'm really happy. I knew once I started to warm up that there was going to be a chance in the game that I was going to need to help the team and I was ready. So, but... Uh, Of course, yeah, before I had some nerves, but once I got my first touches and the guys on the team make it so easy for me. So, yeah, thanks to them and thanks to the coach for helping me and uh, putting their trust in me. So, Lars, um, I already outlined what I thought was uh, quite positive about Girena, um, but I also didn't want to say too much because I want to leave it to you to uh i don't want to say gospel but i i again thought that was a very positive first impression yeah i mean there's there's not much to argue there i think for a 17 year old kid he uh didn't show the stage was too big for him or anything i think he got stuck in in the duels wasn't he like booked after two or three minutes uh i mean i'm not necessarily saying that's a positive but it's doesn't strike me as a negative either for a young player to not be weary of going into duels uh, with much more experienced players. Um, I think you can see that for a 17-year-old, he's quite developed in terms of uh, his physique. So he's not, you know, uh, we would say a hemd in German. So like... Uh, uh, What's a, what's an English equivalent for that stuff? I have no idea right now. I'm uh, standing on the schlauch. <laughs> He's an asparagus Tarzan, obviously. <laughs> um, That's what they always no, called it, me, and I hated that expression. <laughs> yeah, I was on the other end of the spectrum. I didn't like it much either, Stefan. Um No, he's he's well developed. He uh, he certainly has the 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 body to compete for minutes. Uh, early on or if if not straight away i think there was certainly some uh, part of that was sending a message to other players on the team that he he is that 17 year old who did really well in marbella is really talented so i mean he's here long term i don't think you are uh, jacob uh, or mario or i mean paco alcasa wasn't even in the squad um so yeah, huge, hugely positive first impression overall. I think just the the fact that he got on for more than you know a, a three minute cameo performance at the end of the game also speaks volumes. I think it speaks the most highly of uh, Gio Reyna that Favre completely unsolicitedly uh, talked about him uh, towards German TV after the game. 
he was asked about Haaland and obviously waxed poetic about his performance, but he himself mentioned Gio Reyna. It wasn't like he he praised him necessarily, or uh, I think for Farfus' uh, usual standards, that was praise. I mean, the fact that he mentioned him at all in itself uh, was quite notable to me. Um, the, the one thing I will say, though, to uh, maybe uh, hold the, the hype train up a little <laughs> bit is that I think the problem, or not necessarily a problem, but... I think he's more of a central player and, and not in the vein of a Christian Pulisic who should develop into a central player over time just because, you know, especially for the national team, that's where he probably would have more impact than on the wing. I actually think that Reyna from his profile is more of a central player than a winger and it's more difficult to get really a lot of substitution performances in when you are replacing Brandt or Reus as opposed to playing on the wing where, you know, there's more fatigue, there's more gamesmanship almost with uh, substitution. So, I mean, that, that doesn't mean that he won't bring him on often just because the, the situation behind Sancho and Azar is a bit dire in terms of just personal numbers, especially when Guerrero and Hakimi are playing as fullbacks as opposed to wingbacks or being on the bench. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Reina was kind of in and out of uh, the the matchday squad, and and if he might go like three four games in a row without a without getting on from the bench. But I mean, we are still talking about a guy who's not turning eighteen until next season, I believe. So I mean, this is all basically a bonus for him, and and in that regard, there's no other way to describe it than being hugely impressed yeah definitely i mean uh for your <laughs> season debut or for your career professional debut that was um very impressive and uh also very encouraging i would say um and i'm also encouraged by the fact that dortmund managed to um have these kinds of players and talents um in situations where they actually really need them because as you just mentioned um the options on the bench didn't really cry for a lot of substitutions there. So um, in in general, that's uh, a good thing. I'm not sure if uh, if uh, Götze was brought on in the game. I don't uh, No, He was not right. It was Dahoud who came on for Royce later. Um, but yeah, any, anyway, so that's encouraging. But uh, what is obviously not as encouraging is... Um, the causa Paco Alcázar, um, who, uh, you know, had grabbed a couple of headlines that he wants away, that he's no longer ha happy in Dortmund, that he wants to return to Valencia and that his wife is sorry, I don't know, going back and forth with the newborn child and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, of course, he was omitted from the squad, but not marked injured. And then I think before the game, Favre told Sky that uh, right now he does not believe uh, Alcázar is a help. So, um, yeah, obviously not how you want to start your 2020 with uh, a striker that has one of the best uh, scoring averages uh, overall. I think from the top 30 strikers, he is uh, really the, be the best in when it comes to goals per minute or uh, the other way around. So, yeah. A little bit disappointing the entire situation, I would say, um, because I personally rate him as a elite striker or close to it. 
Um, I think he has a lot of uh, very positive features, especially his finishing, obviously. But uh, I also believe he fits quite well with Dortmund. Now, um, I believe, and that's just my assumption, that uh, Dortmund will not sell him this winter just because there won't be a sufficient offer. Um, so do you believe that um, Alcázar, if if my theory holds true th that he won't be s sold, uh, do you believe that he turns into locker room cancer or do you think that uh, Dortmund can find a way to um, yeah, get the best out of Alcázar even in a more reduced role? And now you can also tell us again how long his scoring drought is going on. Since September 14th uh, against, what did you say, Bayer Leverkusen? Yeah, I think, match right? day four. Yeah. Um, I personally also don't think that he's going to be sold just because, as you mentioned, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a destination or a club that would be willing to part with, let's say, 30 million euros in the winter for, a, for an injury-prone striker. Um, so I do also believe that he's going to be here, even though I think Dortmund would probably even prefer to sell him at this point, just to not have to deal with all that stuff again with a player who doesn't want to be there, who, uh, lets his shoulders drop in training, who, I mean, coaches really dislike few things more than a guy torpedoing their, the quality in training, uh, because that's, Especially a guy like Favre, who really just loves football and would probably coach teams for free if 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 there was no money involved in it. Uh, I think that's that's really a cardinal sin in in professional football to to not train hard, to not give off the impression of wanting to be there. So I think if if they had an offer, I think they they would probably let him go at this stage. But as I said, I don't believe that's the case right now. Certainly, and I don't think it's going to be going forward. So. It, it does beg the question, how will he react once February comes around and he's still at Dortmund? Uh, I don't think necessarily he has the potential to be like a, a cancer in the locker room because for that, he, he would need to have like a, a large following. And from what I would assume, he's more of uh, a guy that gets along with a lot of people, but doesn't really, you know, head up a certain group. Like there's not, a, a group of uh, Spanish players or whatever, even though there's a, a number of Spanish-speaking players now, but I don't think they would consider uh, Paco Alcázar their leader or anything. So even if he's pouting or whatever, I don't think he's going to have that kind of effect on others uh, in the locker room. So and also, I think, I mean, his his dream seems to be not only returning to Spain, but returning to Spain is a means to getting a call up, for example, for the Euros in the summer. And that's not going to happen if he's uh, uh, putting himself uh, in the stands at Dortmund. I mean, it's probably not going to happen at Dortmund anyway at this stage, just because of the presence of Haaland and uh, the alternative or the first alternative seeming to be playing without a real striker. Uh, so that that ship might have sailed already anyway, uh, staying at Dortmund. But still, I mean, he will want to move in the summer, and you know, there for for that to happen, he still has to perform and and show himself to be at least a serviceable teammate, and uh, among other things. So, I think this is one of those situations that might resolve itself relatively quickly if he doesn't get his wishes and February rolls around, because he basically has no other choice. 
Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, on on paper, it could not be more ideal for Dortmund because they have two stri strikers that are um, not exactly the same player type, um, something that Dortmund lacked in a while. And obviously, um, Alcázar joined Dortmund knowing there would not, there was not, you know, this big number one striker because he was going to be that guy. And uh, if you sell him and then try to sign the next guy, um, you will, will have a different, uh, um, yeah, baseline for your negotiation because you can't just ignore the presence of Haaland anymore, um, because he's here now and he, uh, seems to be like a budding star. And, uh, you know, you will always have to negotiate around that, uh, you know, sunlight that is left. And as you just mentioned, um, the uh, end of the Hinrunde suggested really that uh, Favre preferred to play without a striker in this 3-4-3 system. Obviously, we, he switched back to 4-2-3-1 at halftime and we might see it more often now. Um, but in, in general... Um, You know, having the luxury, I would say, from a Dortmund's perspective, to have two strikers of of that quality um, is actually quite rare, and I can foresee it not happening anytime soon again. At least having two strikers with that magnitude. So, um, yeah, I think it's time for Dortmund to make lemonade, and it's time for uh, Paco Alcázar to get his head back into the game and uh, try to yeah make the best out of the situation and uh, even even if it's just a couple of substitutions here and there i still believe that uh, Haaland will not play every game 90 minutes up and down the schedule so um there should be some time left for alcazar if he uh, manages to um yeah have have a better attitude about things i don't know about you Lars, but i'm hoping for the best case scenario here which is very promising um And uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how it pans out, but um, that being said, do you foresee a, a situation where we go old school for for Favre and then have both Alcázar and Haaland on the pitch in the four four two system? No, I mean during games they are chasing perhaps, but I mean no. <laughs> I, they if they want to play four four five for then uh, like that's arguably the best position Royce has ever played in under Favre at Gladbach back in the day. Uh, Azar is basically almost a secondary striker playing on the wing because he can. Uh, Sancho can play in that position, so there there would be more options than having Haaland and Alcasa up front. So I I mean I I I don't know which opponent uh, against which opponent that would makes sense from the yeah, start. Yeah, I can only see it happening if there are so many injuries in midfield that uh, you are basically forced to, to play in, in such a way just to have uh, more quality on the field. Um, but yeah, um, we'll see. We'll monitor, we'll monitor the situation. But uh, for now, I think for many fans, it's a little bit frustrating to um, uh, yeah see, see this whole panel with yet another drama. And um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I also want to mention real quick that Jaden Sancho is now, I think, the only player in the top five leagues, uh, if I read that correctly, who is in double figures in terms of both goals and assists, which is hugely impressive, especially given uh, that for long stretches of the season he was not really in, in great form, but still his uh, numbers didn't budge too much. So um, just showing once again 
how much quality Dortmund have with this player for, I would say, another half season and uh, should really make the best of it. Um, that's just my opinion. But, you know, I can't, I can't force Hakimi to, to track Philip Max. That's something he needs to decide for himself. I, I can only do so much. So, uh, you know. Anyway, with that being said, uh, it's time to speak about Cologne because that's uh, the Friday night game and... Uh, I think Dortmund already played the Friday night game in Cologne, if I'm not mistaken, earlier this season, yep. which uh, was obviously very dramatic and uh, the uh, game where Julian Brandt sort of turned things around for Dortmund. Um, so um, the the worst news, I guess, up front is that Dan Axel Zagadou remains out uh, with, I think it's a muscle strain, right? Um, which is obviously a big blow for Dortmund because we have seen that the back three works I don't, I don't want to say only with Zagadou, but it works so much better with him. And the defensive stability and the confidence that I have in, in, uh, Dortmund's defensive capabilities with him on, on the field is just, uh, drastically higher than without him. So, um, do you think that A, Holland will start? Uh, Lucy Favre is always was obviously coy about that because Holland hasn't uh, trained that much for the Lucien Favre, uh, you know, starting guarantee. Um, but do you think we'll see a 4-2-3-1 system with Haaland up top right away, even though I think I predicted we won't see him starting for at least three or four match days? Or do you think uh, he will be another impact player coming off the bench at either halftime or 10 minutes into the second half? I think seeing the kind of impact he had off the bench and the spark he gave the team... Uh, I I would certainly have that discussion internally with my coaching staff if I was the head coach if I really wanted to not have that spark uh, as you said 10 minutes into the second half against Cologne I mean obviously he has the the prerequisite quality to start uh, I think he certainly could go like 60-70 minutes I think coaches are often too weary of playing uh, someone from the start who's not fully fit. I mean, you you play 45 minutes of which 10 usually are like a feel-up phase and then you play half an hour, uh, it's half time, so you can go at least another 20 minutes or so typically. I mean, if you're if you're fit enough to play 35 minutes uh, on Saturday, five days later, you, you probably are fit enough to play 60 at least. So he could start from just a physical standpoint, I'm sure. But as I said, I think there are there, there, there seems to be such a large benefit, especially right now that there's a novelty factor to bring him off the bench to have that spark, possibly even for the entire stadium. I mean, especially if if they are uh, chasing a result or the game is undecided at that stage, can you just imagine Haaland coming on and the 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 yellow wall going absolutely nuts? I mean, that's that's certainly something that I think is a is a very good. There's a there's a good chance of that happening. If, if that were to be the case. So I think that that's just something that you have to have in, in, at the back of your mind. And for the, the formation in itself, I think, uh, given their defensive frailties and not having Zagadou, I think there's no great solution, but the team seems to be generally speaking more comfortable in the back three, even despite, you know, the, the symbolic nature of their defending against Augsburg. So, I don't really see that changing, even though, as you said, without Zagadou, it, it 
doesn't really quite work as well as it should. Uh, but I mean, the alternative would be uh, to have even more of an onus on uh, Akanji and Piszczek in a back four. I mean, at least in a, in a back three, there's more interchangeability of the positions and, and Hummels can help out here and there. So I think, I don't think, let's say, Uh, that that Leonardo Balerdi is suddenly going to start for the first time ever uh, after playing like a grand total of like 19 minutes in his Dortmund career. So with that being said, the 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 smart guess from my behalf would be that Haaland is not going to start. They are going to play three five two or three four three or however you want to write it up. And you know Haaland comes on either for an attacking player or if you know the game state demands a, a change again, then perhaps even again for Piszczek. Yeah, I very much agree with you. Um, I would actually bring on Haaland in the second half just for the theatrics. Uh, I don't, I don't care about this for the content. Yeah, for the content, exactly, Lars. That's uh, that's what we all need content. <laughs> um, but um, I think the number one reason why you would keep a back three is actually the uh, the the first game against Cologne, even though they're no longer they no longer have the same coach. Um, what really uh, happened in that game and why Dortmund struggled so much was basically their back four formation. And if I'm not entirely mistaken, it was the Witzel-Delaney partnership, which we obviously won't see this time around. But nevertheless, um, what Cologne did so well with Cordoba and uh, who was the other striker? I, I don't even remember who who that was in that game. Um, they they I think was it Ut. Um, uh, Ut only moved to Cologne this week uh, uh, for the second half of the season. Uh, right. So it was obviously... It must have been Terodde or Modest because those are the other strikers. But I, yeah, I was, seem to remember Modest, I think. in the lead up to that game seeing... I don't I don't remember what they actually did on game day, but I, I remember because I had to write, uh, write about it uh, that there was a lot of discussion in Cologne. Like there's a large media... Uh, It was Modest and Cordova, I just checked it. Okay, so I can yes. stop. Yeah, <laughs> so anyway, what they really did well is they, they pressed Akanji and Hummels and then forced Dortmund to play on their fullbacks, uh, built up via their fullbacks, which were Schulz and, and Piszczek in that game. And uh, it was actually a, a Weigel and Witzel partnership in midfield, but that didn't really matter because um, these players never received the ball in, in dangerous situations because uh, Cologne cleverly uh, isolated the, the fullbacks right on the on the wing and then forced them to, to p play the ball back and Dortmund's entire build-up play broke down and I would say that uh, a lot of teams then used that blueprint including Union Berlin on the next match day and uh, I think the biggest change for Favre to what the Hinrunde was really that back three, including Zagadou, just because that problem was solved. And I would also say, I've said it before, but Hakimi and uh, Guerrero playing as wingbacks in that system is probably their their best positions, I I would argue, um, just, uh, you know, in opposed to, to other formations. So having that sort of playing and playmaking capability on, on these two positions and then adding the magnificent Julian Brandt in the middle, um, it should 
B in theory absolutely devastating against Cologne. So um, if Dortmund don't show up with the same road attitude, which I hope they won't, um, I would predict that they are already up by two or three goals uh, by the time Haaland enters the field. That's just going to be then uh, the, the cherry on top, if you will. But uh, I, for one, do not suspect that Dortmund will have much trouble uh, opening and, and beating Cologne. I don't. I don't know. I haven't watched them on on the weekend, but uh, it's it's just my hunch that uh, a Mark Oud or uh, other other players that are new in that Cologne team. Uh, I don't know. I just don't see them doing much damage, and I might be jinxing everything here right now, but uh, I'm fairly confident that uh, we see the uh, chocolate side of Dortmund on, on Friday night, and uh, for them to secure very, you know, not cruising to a win, but secure three points without too much trouble. And now you can tell me why I'm wrong or correct. Well, I mean statisticians will probably point to Cologne being the informed team of the league, having won all four of their last games, uh, which, uh, I mean, I live relatively close to Cologne, so I get some of the, the media coverage uh, just in my everyday life, basically. <laughs> um, it's foisted upon like, you. <laughs> and and I, 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 I'm relatively confident in saying that most people following Cologne closely don't know why they won all those games. Um, I mean, they they signed, obviously, Marcus Gistol as head coach, who is basically one of these meme coaches uh, in, in this day and age, uh, having once saved Hoffenheim uh, from almost certain relegation, thanks in no small part to Roman Weidenfeller being sent off, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, That was uh, his his magnum opus, if you like, as a coach. But, you know, he kind of failed at Hamburg, even though he didn't get them relegated, but close enough. <laughs> and and uh, so when he was signed as head coach and Horselt as the, the sporting director, or uh, I mean, he's more than that. He's like the, the sporting CEO. Uh, there was a lot of criticism in and around the club of those being very uninspiring choices. And that certainly seemed to be the case for the first few games of the, the Gistol tenure. But I think they beat Frankfurt then in a somewhat wild match, then won a derby against Leverkusen, even though that's not the big uh, Rhein derby because that's the game against Gladbach. Uh, then they beat... Bremen in what I seem to remember was an absolutely appalling game of football. Yes. Uh, but, you know, that that was the state of Bremen at the end of the Hinrunde also. And then now they beat Wolfsburg somewhat comprehensively from uh, what the, the scoreboard said. But I think I didn't watch the game either, obviously, because it was uh, simultaneous to the Dortmund game. But uh, read up on it afterwards. And I think I remember uh, people writing that Wolfsburg should have been up by a couple of goals or could have been at least uh, after like 10 minutes and Timo Horn uh, really keeping Cologne in the uh, yeah Cologne in the game uh, so I mean they they won four games but I don't think they are the kind of side that would go on the run like that just based on their quality and uh, not having bad luck anymore or anything I think this is more a case of them getting a, a couple of turns going their way 
which will happen to most teams from time to time. Uh, and, and then they are just, you know, in that, that kind of spell where it all comes together for these four games. But I also don't think that they have the, the necessary quality just to hang with Dortmund and this being a home game from Dortmund. I don't remember the last truly horrific home performance against a position they should have beaten. Uh, that I'm sure there was a game this season that I'm just uh, blacking out. Yeah, right. I didn't watch that game live, so that was probably why I didn't uh, recall it right away. So, I mean, that's not too far in the distance, but it was before the the system change and before Dortmund really kind of turned things up a notch uh, at home, at least uh, during uh, or towards the end of the Hinrunde. So, I would agree with you that ultimately this is another game that you know shouldn't be too much of a problem for Dortmund at home. But I mean, we also talked about Augsburg not posing too many problems, well, and they had to pull pull that game out of you know where. Yeah, <laughs> um, out of the Haaland. Um, I think Dortmund are, of course, as always, in danger to concede uh, a set piece goal. Um, Cologne did that in the other game uh, against them. I think uh, it was actually quite nice routine. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they also scored a set piece goal, uh, the the opener against uh, Wolfsburg. That was a corner from I think it was Modest who had it home. So um, that is is likely, but uh, I still think that Dortmund's firepower will just uh, completely uh, overwhelm Cologne in in a way that uh, even if Cologne get on the score sheet, that it just won't matter. So I'm uh, I'm predicting a. Uh, let's say five to one win. Jeez, I know, but uh, it's it's Cologne Dortmund have usually uh, well not usually, but uh, th- they had many big wins against them in 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 the past. So um, that's that's my prediction. What do you predict? I mean, as a regular tipster, I refrain from going as high as you just did, just because there need to be a lot of things going my way for a five goal prediction to go correctly, but. Uh, I, I will say also it should be a relatively comprehensive win for Dortmund, so I'm going with a 3-1. Awesome. All right, I think that wraps up the show, and uh, we shall be back next week to discuss the Dortmund match and, uh, you know, what, what else transpired, maybe not more transfer news or whatever. So, uh, Lars, in the meantime, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, people can see that I don't like uh, tweets of Donald Trump's at Lars Bormann. <laughs> yeah, uh, same here at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. And uh, if you want to follow all of us, please do that at YellowWallPod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and so on and so forth. I will uh, say that Spotify right now, for some reason, takes forever to refresh the feed so uh it might just be that uh, the podcast isn't getting there uh i, I don't want to say in time but just uh, very close to the game so uh in, in the future if you if spotify is your preferred medium uh please be aware that this show might not appear right away where it drops in other channels like for example also youtube because i obviously have to render it in imovie which takes a little bit more time than uploading it while uh, everything else happens basically automatically so that's the reason for delays and uh, anyway if you want to read our written stuff 
please go to theyellowwall.net where you can sign up to our Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash And for one buck, you can read the articles that are behind the paywall and contribute. And if you want to sponsor an episode like this one, get a shout out to your fan club or yourself or whatever, send greetings to fellow BVB fans, then uh, also go to patreon.com com slash the yellow wall and for 10 bucks a pop you can do that and uh, then i will contact you or you contact me or whatever goes faster and then we'll work out what i shall read and that i think is enough housekeeping for today until next time and goodbye